No, nobody believed in us. You I, say Michael Bay ending as if it's an insult. Welcome to Backseat Directing. We talk about movies, TV shows, comics, and more. We're your hosts, Andrew and Aaron. And we put out new episodes every Monday and Thursday. And today we're doing a movie review on Bullet Train. Three, two, one, action. Yes. Yeah, we got our intro right. Got our intro right, first try. We are professionals. We we invented it, came up with the whole thing ourselves, and it only took us this long to get it right. Yeah, this is episode 44, Yeah, which is crazy in itself that we've made it this far. All our, no, nobody believed in us. I'm just kidding. And here we go. <laughs> this is to the haters. <laughs> So much adversity. <laughs> Sometimes it was hard for us to schedule days where we were both available. <laughs> right? Like today, this is one of our latest train or training sessions. This is one of our latest filming <laughs> sessions that we've had. Dude, I'm tired. <laughs> you look tired. Speaking of training sessions, our movie today is about a train. Boom. There we <laughs> go. Good segue. <laughs> so Good segue. Now we're on train. I was gonna say now we're on Paul Blart Mall Cop segue. <laughs> Um, so we're talking about Bullet Train today, which is a movie that I saw when it came out in theaters and really, really loved it. Like, I I was really surprised how much I liked this movie because I went in expecting to see like a fun action comedy, and I feel like the movie does more than that. Um, I will say, like, my overall opinion is that it it dips off in quality towards the end. Um, we see some pretty unfavorable CGI. And I think that the story goes a little bit less controlled, a little bit haywire at the end when they're bringing all the elements together that they've been setting up. What was your overall impression of the movie, Aaron? Overall, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, It had my attention the whole time. I did not get to see it in theaters, so it just came out on Netflix this past week. So I actually watched it yesterday in the comfort of my own home. And I enjoyed it, I did. It was funny. The action scenes were really good. Um, I see what you're talking about, how some of the CGI kind of was slipping towards the end and stuff, and it was maybe a little cluttered at the end, but overall, I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I think they avoided that throughout the rest of the movie on kind of a lean budget by not using too much CGI. I mean, it seems like a lot of practicality was involved, you know, practical effects and makeup and things like that being used for the blood and we've got a lot of people in this movie bleeding out of their eyes and being stabbed and shot so I think that was done really practically through and they used like these practical trains that they created um, to film on the on a soundstage on a fake train so uh, the movie I think they are able to look really good from the beginning all the way till uh, about the third act of the movie and then um, when they start to kind of like step out from that practice, especially in one scene that we'll talk about because we are going to spoil the movie. Um, just a heads up to anyone listening. Heavy spoilers ahead for this movie. We're going to talk about everything. So in order to review it, we need to tell you what happens in the movie. Do you think uh, movie studios and producers and stuff feel like they're under pressure of having to like include heavy CGI scenes, you know, because we see so much of it. Like it's like if we don't have this over the top ending, 
um, then people are going to get bored or the payoff at the end isn't going to be worth it. Do you think they feel that pressure? I, I think studios, if they're going to look at like a first cut of a movie, like if they had cut out the third act of Bullet Train and it was like a more close and personal ending, you know, um, maybe more of a plot twist and less of a bombastic explosive Michael Bay ending, I think a producer would look at that and say, mm, You I, say Michael Bay ending as if it's an insult. <laughs> I mean, I'm using it as an insult in this instance. I yes. like a lot of Michael Bay's movies, and I feel like people are, they're too mean. Yeah, I mean, I used to like and them. His, his action and stuff, most of it's really, really good. Yeah, not that I'm like some like cinephile of, you know, I don't think I'm like the highest caliber movie critic, but I do think Michael Bay is very casual viewing. Like you have to not be trying to think too hard about watching his movies. Which but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's not anything inherently wrong with it, but I'm... But you hold yourself to a higher standard. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying in this instance that I am using it as an insult because the thoughtlessness in a story is not a good thing because you can you can have a turn your brain off movie where thought is put into it which is what i think the first two-thirds of this movie is the i think that the a producer like i was saying would want to see something more to give the audience a payoff to make them feel like they paid for their seat now they get and and you can't usually do that without using heavy cgi unless you're like chris nolan and you're gonna crash an actual train like i think a movie that was kind of on the same tone as this one that didn't have a huge cgi event at the end is like knives out you know like that was funny kept you entertained maybe a little less action throughout the whole thing but <laughs> that was uh alex the cat knocking <laughs> something over in the office no big deal <laughs> Um, but you know, like it kind of had the same tone the whole way through, like it's kind of like playful, serious at certain parts and all that stuff. Um, but let's, let's kind of jump back to the beginning. Let's go over the movie, movie summary, and then we can dive into who the creators of this movie are. So this movie is about an assassin codenamed Ladybug who boards a bullet train with the mission of retrieving a briefcase. Ladybug is continuously unlucky. He soon finds out that there are four other assassins on the bullet train. Each of their missions have something in common. So that's kind of like the overview of the story. And again, we're gonna go into spoilers for this movie and kind of break down the story a little bit more uh, towards the end of this podcast. The movie came out this year, 2022. It's rated R, it's two hours and seven minutes long. IMDb has it rated at a 7.3 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes for the critics has it only at a 54% and then a 76% for audience score. Hello, Alex. And then this movie had a budget that was estimated to be $85.9 million. And it brought in $239.2 million. So not too bad of a payoff. Yeah, I think with very little CGI in this movie, you could ask the question of with $85 million budget and basically one gigantic CGI scene at the end, why could not it have been of higher quality? And I think the answer would probably be the cast. I think a lot of that $85 million goes into this cast because the cast is 
huge and eclectic and full of fantastic actors. And I, I don't think I would trade one for the other because it's just so much fun to see the different faces that pop up in this movie. Um, with that said, let's go into who is in this movie. This sec- segment, we'll talk about who's in front of and behind the camera. So on the behind the camera side, we have the director, David Leach. And David Leach, you probably best know for directing John Wick, Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2, and Hobbs and Shaw. So he's he's been doing really well for the last 10 years. Um, you know, starting with John Wick, which came out in 2014, this is a lot of action movies. He has a lot of experience in stunt work. So that's... He was a stunt coordinator yeah. first. That's why these movies look so fantastic in terms of the action, everything that I just mentioned here. I mean, say what you want about something like Hobbs and Shaw, but that hallway fight scene they have where they're fighting on either end of the glass... It looks great. It's funny. It's cool. Like, you can say what you want about the movie's plots, but the action is great. And it's super entertaining and fun to watch. And that's because of his background that he's able to make that work. I mean, I don't think anybody else could do it in the same way. I mean, doing something like John Wick and Deadpool 2, it is such a feather in his cap to have the stunt work experience that he has. For sure. Definitely. So, on the other side of the camera, on our cast, we have... Well, let's stay on the on behind the camera for now because I still have the cinematographer Jonathan Sella, who we talked about way back on our episode of uh, Law Abiding Citizen because he is uh, he he worked on that movie as well. So he did cinematography for Bullet Train. We're talking about now The Lost City with Channing Tatum, Hobbs and Shaw, Deadpool Two, Transformers, The Last Night, Atomic Blonde, and John Wick. So. We know that he's... A lot of similar movies there. Exactly. We know that he's... I also know that he's met David Leach before. They worked t- together on John Wick, Atomic Blonde. Um, and so things like this. People like to pair up with certain people. I mean, uh, they have a good experience with them and they'll bring them back a lot of times in the film industry. So like that's probably an example of why we see somebody... Like when I go on the cast, we have a cameo from Channing Tatum in this movie, which he was also in The Lost City. So... It's really cool to see... We also have a cameo from Ryan Reynolds, who's... In Deadpool 2. So we have the working relationship with them, and I love to see that, uh, you know, when people have that connection. Because, again, we could talk about Brad Pitt. He has a tiny, tiny cameo. The smallest cameo basically you've ever seen in Deadpool 2. So then, in return, then we have Ryan Reynolds coming to do a cameo uh, in... In this film, in Which Train. is equally as small yeah. and short. And I think there was a similar agreement with Channing Tatum, because I think Brad Pitt has a small cameo in The Lost City, mm. and then Sandra Bullock is in The Lost City, who has a role in this movie as well. So let's just go over the cast to make it clear who exactly is in this movie. Brad Pitt is Ladybug, Aaron Taylor Johnson is Tangerine, Brian Tyree Henry is Lemon, Joey King is The Prince, Andrew Koji is Kimura, Hiroyuki Sanada is The Elder, Michael Shannon is The White Death, Sandra Bullock as Maria, and this goes on and on. Bad Bunny is the wolf. Logan Lerman is the sun. Zazie Beetz is the hornet. Karen Fukuhara is the concession lady. To me, another cameo, because she's from The Boys. Uh, she is fantastic in that. I love her in The Boys. And then the cameos we talked about already. Ryan Reynolds is Carver. Channing Tatum appears as just guy on the train. <laughs> it's so much fun all these all these big names in this movie uh, that they made on an 85 million dollar budget and it's just so much fun every time when I had no expectation of seeing Channing Tatum in this movie and I was just giggling in my seat <laughs> yeah. like excited to see him pop up the only cameo that I knew was that Ryan Reynolds was in there 
I didn't know he would be in it either. I, I, because I didn't know that much about the movie going in to see it. But you saw it in the theater. In theater, too, so, so yeah, you saw it before a lot of the spoilers got out. I had a lot of those reactions of, "Oh my God, is that Ryan Reynolds?" <laughs> I didn't know he was going to be in this movie. Yeah, and it's just for a quick two seconds. So, like we we mentioned the heavy spoilers, but if you haven't seen the movie, um, then it stinks that you watched this far because it's such a it's <laughs> it's so. It's it's just a, it's such a special funny thing when when somebody like that shows up in a movie like somebody you're a fan of that you didn't expect to see. Yeah, definitely. I love how all of their names like stay the code names the entire movie. I love that you know, movie. where like you don't end up actually knowing their real names and it's just Ladybug, which is hilarious. Lemon, Tangerine, yeah. Hornet, yeah, the Elder, the Sun. Um, it's it's so cool the the nicknames and I love when movies do that. They do it in. Tenet as well. The main character's name is just protagonist. Um, and I think that it's funny and clever when they just have the code name or the nickname. It makes it easier for someone who's not good with names like myself to keep track of everyone's names. Yeah. The I'll, Prince. I'll, I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll remember uh, Ladybug or Lemon or Tangerine, you know. Most of these so characters it's... don't have a real name. The Prince, the White Death, that's two more. Um, you know, that it's... It adds like an element of mystery to the whole movie because nobody has a real name. And then it also uh, just adds this layer of mystique and coolness to the characters because it's like their their nicknames are tied to things. I mean, Lemon and Tangerine have the bond between each other. That's why they, they both have fruit nicknames, mm-hmm. unlike anybody else in the cast. The Elder is kind of this mysterious person who you get the sense is very wise, has a lot of experience in the criminal underworld. And then the White Death is just the name that strikes fear for and and i was so excited as well it's also unexpected for me to see michael shannon show up in this movie and i love michael shannon i love him so much in knives out i love him in this movie i love Mm -hmm. him as uh the villain in man of steel um so i think that he's always perfectly cast as a villain and and like i was so excited to see him uh if you were in a movie andrew would you be cast as a villain or the hero I feel like I, I feel like I don't really have it in me to be cast as the villain. Like I feel like I'd have to seem a little bit scarier, or tougher, or something. But I'm like a marshmallow. Maybe you could be like the evil mastermind or something. <laughs> <laughs> what do you see yourself as? Um, I feel like I could do either. Maybe I don't know. So I, I picked my fruit name already. And Your fruit name? I, I would be orange. Strawberry. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like strawberry sounds like. So gentle. <laughs> that's that's what gets you. <laughs> kind of like Ladybug. You're like, oh, well, this this guy's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite person that, to see pop up in this movie? I know a lot of people were really excited to see Bad Bunny and Zazie Beats. Um, in terms of who you not the main cast, not the main cast who that you didn't know was going to be in it. Maybe I really like Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he's hilarious. He's he's probably on like my top five actors list you know like I'll, I'll definitely watch pretty much any movie he's in you know um, i love how he has a, a decent variety of movies too um yeah so i would say i'd say ryan reynolds i uh, i was really excited to see karen fukuhara and um sierra's making fun of me because when she showed up i was like i'm calling it i'm calling it right now she's gonna be the hornet because she's got to be, she's in, she's got to have a big role. She's she's too good of an actress. She's got to have an important role in this. And Sierra was like, nobody knows who she is. I was like, she's the female. She's and, from the boys. Everyone knows who she is. She's from the boys. And she, and then she ended up being nobody. So I was. 
<laughs> but funny. I think that she's highly underrated, and she does her whole role in The Boys without really hardly being able to speak. Just until season three, she started to be able to speak a little bit. So she has to convey a lot with her face and with that. And that sign language is made up. It's not American sign language. It's she in The Boys, so, yeah. Yeah, she supposedly in that show invented it with her brother. So it's something that she communicates with in the show that is not like she couldn't have learned ASL. She has to use this new system. So I right. think that she's really phenomenal for that. And I wish she had a bigger role in this movie. Let's uh, dive into the story a little bit more. So it starts off, we get introduced to Ladybug, Brad Pitt, who is basically at the start of accepting a new mission. And he's walking through Japan, getting ready to board the bullet train. His mission is to retrieve this briefcase, like I mentioned earlier. He's on the phone with his handler, and uh, they're kind of talking back and forth. He seems like he's recovering from an event or something that was a little traumatic. So it sounds like he's been going to therapy and he's practicing being calm and going through all these other methods of, oh, I, I, I'm going to start a known agency where we do easy side missions all the time. <laughs> you know, like he, he's definitely boarding this train thinking that it's going to be smooth sailing, you know, that there's going to be little to no criminal activity you know no fights that's for sure like, but he also gives us the hint at the beginning of the movie where he says um like even if i'm not trying to people end up dying basically accidentally yeah. so yep. that's a that's like a foreshadowing for us that maybe that this job will not be so easy yeah and his code name is ladybug which is often associated with like luck if like a ladybug lands on you and stuff but in the beginning he's like i always seem to have bad luck you know and then yeah. that that tends to be a theme throughout the rest of the movie, which was cool to kind of see that such a simple theme like luck uh, held such a heavy weight on the story plot because um, the prince, who is ends up being the uh, White Death yeah. uh, daughter, she is the opposite. She's just inherently always lucky. Things always go her way, yeah. uh, which I think is a very interesting... Um, Kind of dynamic to the story well i think we should cut in and out as we go along the plot but one thing that i want to talk to you about while we're talking about luck which is luck and fate obviously are huge themes throughout this movie luck fate and chance mm -hmm. and i think that for brad pitt's character ladybug i would actually argue that he is super super lucky um and it's just about perspective of what you consider good or bad luck because he considers it bad luck that all these people are dying around him but from a perspective, from a, you know, an objective perspective, he's lucky to be coming out of these situations alive. The <laughs> people who are trying to kill him, like the wolf, yes, it's he doesn't want to kill him, and he does, which he he from his perspective is bad luck. But also that knife bouncing off a briefcase and happening to kill a person who would have stopped at nothing to murder him <laughs> is good luck that he lived in that situation, and that is happens a lot throughout the movie. I mean, it's. It's really bad luck that he accidentally drugs uh, Lemon or that he kills Tangerine, but he comes out of all those encounters unscathed, you know, for himself. Like he he when the when the train crashes at the end of the movie, he goes flying through the entire train and lands in this little plush cushy uh, like Mongo doll or whatever they call that thing, and comes out basically unscathed from this huge train wreck. 
which is where he like starts to shift his mindset into like this was fate where he says like nice car and then the the telephone pole lands on the car that they were supposed to get out with they're like oh fate told me not to get in that car today (laughs) so it seemed like by the end of the story he was starting to kind of shift perspective and be like oh like this is fate this is supposed to happen this way yeah because the way the elder explains his luck to him at the in the third act of the movies he says well, a ladybug is actually in Japanese culture is a creature that takes on all the bad luck so that others can have good luck, which makes sense when you think about it, because I, I always growing up as a kid is told if a ladybug landed on you, that's good luck for you. It's not good luck for the ladybug. <laughs> so if the ladybug's taking on the bad luck, um, which that perspective makes sense also. Yeah. But I see throughout this movie a thread of ladybug, the character being very lucky, um, like when when especially lucky in the, the sense to like still be alive but definitely not lucky in the sense of the situations that he finds himself in yeah he's lucky to come out of all these situations it's so it's 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 all about you can that's the thing about luck and fate is and that's why like horoscopes work so well on people cuz it's mm-hmm. all about perspective and it's how you look at it but right. when bad bunny's character the wolf first approaches him it's unlucky that he has this chance encounter with a person who wants to kill him but really wants to kill somebody else, has him a, a case of mistaken identity, which is a problem for his character the whole movie. It's unlucky that he comes to, that he's there to stab him, but he's incredibly lucky that the phone is in his breast pocket that saves him from being stabbed yeah. in the heart. Exactly. And then he's incredibly lucky that the knife bounces off. And then he's incredibly lucky that when the Hornet is coming to kill him, that he, he's able to take the antidote instead of her. Like he's lucky and unlucky i mean if he was truly unlucky he'd be dead in the first 15 minutes of the movie right but a lot of bad things still happen to him and i think that's where he has that perspective that he's unlucky and i think the movie clearly makes that point um of of fate because it's not him fighting bad luck with his skills at all times Mm -hmm. the phone being in his breast pocket and saving his life is pure died. chance. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. That, that's something completely out of his control where the wolf chooses to try and yeah. stab him. Which I feel like that's why it kind of makes it such an interesting dynamic for this plot, you know? Because like, like you said, there's different perspectives that you can view it from and it's fun to kind of break down each of those and see like how people are seeing the same thing. Um, but kind of continuing, he is searching the train for this briefcase and he ends up finding it very quickly. <laughs> That's another example of him having good luck. He right. says, how am I going to find a, tra- a, a silver suitcase with a sticker of a train Arm on down. the handle? You know, it's right there in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. Yeah. It's, they, I, I really, one thing I really, really appreciate about this movie is how they stay on theme. Like... When they, were, when they start at the beginning of the movie and they're like telling you, all right, luck is going to be important in this movie. We're putting it in the dialogue plan as day for you. And that is something that they do not forget all yeah. the way to the end of the movie. Yeah, that's definitely a strong point to the movie. So then while Ladybug is fetching the briefcase, what's going on with Lemon and Tangerine? So Lemon and Tangerine have their own whole plot line. So in this aspect, it's kind of like Pulp, Fli- Pulp Fiction where we have different storylines diverging. Lemon and Tangerine uh, are two brothers, twin brothers, some would say, uh, <laughs> who um, they're on a mission hired by the White Death to recover his son and recover his money, which is in the briefcase. Uh, so 
They've recovered The Sun, which is played by Logan Lerman. Um, and obviously, one of the things Logan Lerman's best known for is playing Percy Jackson in the Percy Jackson series. I only got two movies, unfortunately. But there's a scene in this movie where um, because uh, Lemon is so obsessed with Thomas the Tank Engine, not to be confused with Thomas the Train Engine, uh, he attributes everyone's personality to these categories based on the characters of under, Th- under Thomas, the show. And he sticks a, a sticker onto Logan Lerman's head and says, you're a Percy, uh, <laughs> which is such a great uh, Easter egg and reference in this movie. It's so funny. This movie's full of pop culture references, uh, everything from like the songs that are changed. There's a lot of songs that are uh, like mixed or changed into Japanese. Um, so a lot of pop, cult- pop culture references for us here in the US. Um, and they are trying to bring... Uh, the son back to his father were to cover the briefcase and they quickly lose control of every aspect of this mission uh the son gets poisoned by the hornet they don't know who's done it at this point but blood just running out of his eyes from them looking away for just a few minutes when the when tangerine finds out lemon has then stashed the briefcase um, because he thinks that's the place nobody will look for it, but now it's already been taken by Ladybug. So all the stories are already converging. Hornet's converging with Lemon and Tangerine. Um, Ladybug's taken their suitcase. Um, so the the story interweaves, which is where I feel like the editing in this movie is very strong. Um, I Green. have the editor's name here because such a like it's like Pulp Fiction, only the stories are weaving together all throughout. And that's how they convey the the themes of luck and fate is everybody's chance encounters. So the editor is Elizabeth, oof, I could not pronounce this, Elizabeth uh, Ronalds Dottier. And uh, she does a phenomenal job in this movie. I mean, I I followed it, I feel like, effortlessly, like I never felt like I was straining to follow the plot or the action. Yeah, and every time they were following someone's particular storyline, I was entertained. Like at no point was I like, oh, can... Brad Pitt, hurry up and get back on screen, you know, like, or can Aaron Taylor Johnson get back on screen? Like the whole time I was entertained by each story. And of course I have like my favorite characters and stuff, but I was interested in each part. And also the action was very well choreographed and edited as well. Can you make a note for us to talk about our favorite characters? Yeah. Because I want to talk about my favorite character, but yeah, the, you follow the action very, very well. Like that's where the cinematography and the editing work together because especially for like the, the, the shots that shoot down the end of the train, you have, they, they physically have to have both rows and the complete train in there. They can't be shooting from open face set train. So in order to edit and in order to take those shots and edit them together, it takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of skill from the stunt workers as well when they're fighting down those hallways. Yeah. Uh, That's the movie comes out very impressive to me for that reason. Cause it's kind of like, it's like shooting in a long coffin. Like there's not a lot of room for movement, especially in a fight scene. Like to elaborate on what Andrew's saying is that, in one shot, you can see the walls of the train and you're like looking down the aisle. And then another shot that's like mixed in with those train shots is you see only the side of the train. So you see one wall of the train and you're looking perpendicular to the aisle, which means there's no longer any wall on that near side anymore, which means they're on two different stages cutting back and forth between the action and the dialogue, which they did very well. Yeah, you, I feel like you're never confused and you're never not entertained. And they also intercut very well with the flashbacks as well, which that is, that is the editor working very well with the director. Because the, the, 
the flashbacks or the cuts even to just the world outside of the train. Uh, that's something David Leach said that he wanted to intercut into the movie because he feels like it could get very stale in this small, small space, keeping them there throughout the movie. So he felt like it was a breath of fresh air to interject the scenes like the wolf's flashback. Um, the scene that follows the water bottle comes to mind as like one of the best sequences in the whole movie. It's like a montage sequence. How much did Fiji water pay for that? (laughs) I do. I don't know, but it was worth it because that was, that That was was really cool. One of the most entertaining shots in the movie and your eyes are locked on it. Recreate that sometime. And you recognize the Fiji water bottle, even from just the shape. So, um, I think that was really good marketing by them. Yeah, definitely. Um, the shot that he's talking about, the water bottles, where the camera is like locked off onto the water bottle at a fixed distance. It's like a POV shot. On and the water it's bottle. like locked in the entire time as it's like stuck in the vending machine and then it goes into uh, Lemon's hand and then it's like thrown onto the floor and shaking it. Yeah. And the camera is like locked off at the same position the entire time. So when the bottle moves, the camera moves in the exact same way. That's who I was waiting to talk about as my favorite character is the Fiji water bottle. <laughs> It goes, it, and like Aaron said, it goes through that whole journey. It goes with with Lemon till he passes out, gets picked up and goes in the trash, comes flying out of the trash. Kimura has, ends up throwing it at the climactic moment to yep. save the elder. It's it's like a huge part of the movie, which is again them touching on the themes of luck and fate because this one small water bottle plays Just happened to be there. Yeah, yeah, it plays a role but throughout the whole feel, movie. It doesn't feel cheesy. Yeah, it it feels funny. Right. But it feels it like, doesn't feel convenient. Yeah. You know, like, oh, that knife was conveniently placed there. Like, that shouldn't have happened. It felt like it was accidentally on purpose. Yeah. You and, know? and the movie plays up chance so much that you you laugh at all these things that are by chance instead of complaining about them. Definitely. Thank you everyone for watching. <laughs> Thank you everyone for who had, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I like jumped into my microphone to laugh at that one. I was like again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Who <laughs> now you're like scared to talk. <laughs> Thank you, everyone who has watched this far. We appreciate it. Uh, we would like you to head over to our YouTube channel. We're at like 177 subscribers. I want to get that to 200 before the end of the year, if at all possible. We just started this in the middle of August. And the fact that we're almost at 200 subscribers on YouTube like blows my mind. Yeah, we see a few pop up every day. So thank you guys so much to anyone that is currently subscribed. If you tell your friends and family by word of mouth, uh, we can grow so much. And it would really mean a lot to us. All right, Andrew, let's jump back into the story. Uh, We just kind of wrapped up talking about where Lemon and Tangerine have lost the briefcase and their... uh, Passenger has died, the yes. son of the White Death. So what happens next? So Brad Pitt, Ladybug, now has the briefcase. He is about to leave the train, you know, dust his shoulders off, mission complete, when the wolf shows up right at the train car door and attacks him. Ladybug ends up accidentally, <laughs> which is insane, accidentally killing the wolf who's like a trained hitman, train killer, and he, he kills him by accident, um, And then, he, but now Ladybug's stuck on the train. So he's running around trying to remain inconspicuous. At this point, Lemon and Tangerine have realized that the briefcase is missing, and they are hunting down, one going one way, the other going the other, up the train, looking for the briefcase, um, and they're 
I believe they're going to try to find the killer as well because they have to try to pin the death of the sun on somebody to try and get some of the heat from the white death off them. Now, there's all manner of chance encounters, all kinds of stuff we could talk about going on because we have basically three big plot lines that are along. The third plot line that we haven't discussed is uh, that Kimura is with the prince who has been manipulating him. She has somebody watching over his son, threatening to kill him if she does not, if he does not do everything that she says. And yes, and the prince is a woman, to be clear. If you, yes, played and, by Joey King. Yes. Who is and, a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's manipulating him, telling him that he is going to have to try and shoot the White Death and that the White Death will then kill Kimura with his own weapon, which she has rigged to explode. So these three plot lines are weaving around each other. Everyone's on this small plot, on this small train, passing back and forth each other. And somewhere in between there in the middle... Channing Tatum shows up, and it's hilarious. Um, but the eventual result is that uh, Lemon runs into Kimura and the prince and realizes that one of them, that something is afoot, um, after Lemon has his encounter with Ladybug where they fight on the silent train car, which is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, is that not like the best fight scene in the movie? That was where awesome. The, the lady just keeps looking back and shushing them. <laughs> you scared Alex. <laughs> But, yeah, the lady keeps looking back and shushing them, which is what we're talking about with this fight scene in a cramped space, right? And just, like, two seats and quiet. Now they set up all these, like, parameters for their fight scene to play within, and it, and it works so well. It's hilarious, and it's a great time. Um, but Ladybug essentially wins that fight, leaves Lemon unconscious. Lemon now... Uh, Ladybug has... Uh, uh, would you call it poisoned? He's put in a sleeping. He's put a sleeping powder into uh, Lemon's water, into his Fiji water that we mentioned earlier. <laughs> so Lemon takes that, walks down the train cars, encounters Kimura and the Prince, realizes that one of them is something is afoot. One of them's lying, but just before he can realize the truth, he has drank enough of this water to put him unconscious, and he falls down. So he he's he shoots Kimura, falls down, realizes he's made a mistake. He, he says, he looks at the prince's character and says, you're, he realizes you're the diesel. You're a diesel, which is this, we should stop and talk about the, the concept of the diesel. So like we touched on earlier, uh, Lemon sees all the characters through the lens of characters from Thomas the Tank Engine. So um, he sees Thomas as somebody who is like a true friend. Through and true, Thomas is a hard worker the best person you can be. On the other end of that spectrum is a diesel. A diesel is somebody who just mucks things up, who is just a little devil and likes to see chaos and ruin a good time for everybody else. So when he says you're a diesel, that's the worst thing he can call you in, in Lemon's mind. And he's going through the train that he says he has a good feel for people. He can sense when you're a Thomas. He can sense when you're a diesel. He can sense when you're a Percy. So... He thinks he learned everything from Thomas and he can read people, right? So when he senses you're a diesel, he has a feeling about you, that means something. That means something. That means that you're probably a bad class of person. <laughs> um, but when he finally realizes that the prince is a diesel, he just barely gets to put a sticker on her. And we don't see it till later, but he puts one of his Thomas the Tank Engine stickers on her, marks her as a diesel. Well... While that's all going on, we don't get to see that he puts the sticker on her. And the prince, she ends up shooting him. And from a sentence... Three times, of, I think. Yeah, in the chest. And from a <laughs> sentence earlier in the movie, 
he referenced that he is not wearing a bulletproof vest. So at that moment, we all thought he was dead. And turns out he was wearing a bulletproof vest. Uh, his line was, uh, it, a bulletproof vest gives you a false sense of security. With my luck, I'd get shot in the neck, which ends up happening, RIP, to Tangerine. <laughs> which is, so much again, yeah. back to that like luck on luck kind of chance stuff. You so know? much foreshadowing in this movie. Yeah. It's a gruesome scene where Tangerine gets shot in the <sighs> neck. So now we have, at this point in time, let's, let's go through this plot as smoothly as we possibly can because this is a lot. <laughs> so Lemon and Lemon has been shot. Kimura has been shot. They're left in a bathroom in a train car by the prince. The prince goes to leave. The plot of this movie is very dense. Um, but ultimately, Tangerine finds Lemon, assumes he's dead, goes after the prince, realizes the diesel sticker is on her back, and oh, in such a great climactic moment, is just about to shoot her, just about to get the diesel on the train, which we as the audience have been lucky the whole time to know is the prince, but everyone else sees her as this innocent little girl, just about to shoot her when Ladybug pops up. <laughs> Unlucky. Yeah. But Ladybug goes to stop what he perceives to be a man about to shoot a little girl. Yes. <laughs> what presumably anybody would do. Right. But is unfortunate in this circumstance. And... Again, by what I see as good luck, the gun goes off, happens to shoot Tangerine, not Ladybug. Like you said, Tangerine gets shot in the neck and dies. Yes. And then she, uh, Prince, and Ladybug kind of come up with this plan that they need to kind of get off the train together. Uh, but the Prince is still set on making sure that this uh, package, the briefcase, gets to the loan or the white uh, a death because in that briefcase she put a bomb and also she wants somebody to fire the gun she has rigged as a bomb at him as well or attempt to kill him right because she has what would you call it, a contingency plan yes yeah she basically she rigged that gun to basically fire backwards uh, so if you pull the trigger, it ends up killing the person who pulled the trigger so she's trying to get that gun into the white death's hand in some way. So she tricks Ladybug into staying on the train. She gets revealed as being the dangerous one again now by the Elder, now that the Ladybug and the Prince and the Elder and Kimura are all stuck on the train. Lemon wakes up, <laughs> which is... Because he had the vest. So crazy. He was knocked out from even that dead. sleeping agent that Ladybug put in his water. Again, kind of all coming full circle. Yeah, and he, although he is furious, hates Ladybug for killing Tangerine. The Elder points out to them that the real villain of the story is the White Death. And by the end of the movie, we realize that the White Death has hired everyone on the train, put them all on the train with converging their paths, a little bit less than luck or fate in this way, really being controlled all by the hand of the White Death, puts all of these paid killers onto the train to kill each other because they had some... Some way, shape, or form, the people they killed, the way the dominoes fell, they had a hand in the death of the White Death's wife, the love of his life. And so he put them all in each other's past, aimed them at each other, and set them to fire. But because the Elder gets involved and is able to recognize this, he stops Tangerine from killing Ladybug and points them at the real villain, the real villain of the story. And that is the White Death which is revealed to be Michael Shannon. And like I said, so excited to see him. <laughs> um, and finally... 
all these people are on the right track on the mission of killing the actual villain of the story and the in a big CGI explosion ending that we talked about the train literally goes off the rails and <laughs> they all just come crashing in Kyoto yeah and at, after a bunch of fighting like you said the train falls off the tracks at the very end, the White Death has the gun that is rigged to explode in his hands, about ready to shoot Ladybug, and it backfires and ends up blowing half of his face off, killing him, again proving that Ladybug's luck is for him rather than against him. And again proving that the Prince's luck is good like she thought all along. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. So her plan ended up working in the end, uh, and Ladybug ended up ended up making it out as well. So that kind of wraps up the plot and the story. Before we go on to our favorite characters, I want to say that they did a really good job of making you feel attached to each of these characters because we got to see both Tangerine and Lemon go through the mourning process of losing each other. But in the end, only Lemon lost Tangerine, uh, which was very emotional. And even though that this movie is more of like an action comedy, I still felt their deaths. You know, I was like, oh man, like that's, that's really sad. Like, especially when they did the flashback and there were little kids together, I was like, oh, they got me. Yeah, that's... They got me. That's what I think is the true mark of a good movie, is how much they can make you feel the elements of the movie that are outside their genre. So if a movie is an action comedy that can make you cry, or, you know, if they can hit you with the mystery elements and make it work, hit you with the dramatic yeah. or the sad elements and make it work, that's what I think is the true mark of I love mastering. feeling the whole, like, spectrum of emotions through yeah. movie, you know, where you're, like, just riding this roller coaster or riding this train along with them yeah you want to laugh and cry and yes. be sucked into the action definitely and i think that this movie does it really well even if there's some like plot points that i'm going to nitpick on um i think that the editing's phenomenal the cinematography is really great those those uh what would you call them those vertical shots of uh of tangerine the vertical shots of tangerine that then turn horizontal they do it twice in the movie, I believe, and they are my favorite shots in the movie. So, like, stylized. They make Tangerine look so cool, and I, I think that it, it plays really well. to Like, when uh, Channing Tatum says, he's got a great walk. Like, Aaron Taylor Johnson kills it perfectly. The camera work sets him up to be successful, and he executes on just yes. the cool factor. I would highly recommend this movie to anyone who wants to have a good time and just enjoys uh action and comedy um you want to go on to our favorite characters before we go into our backseat directing segment yeah let's go on i have i have a number one favorite character who is it it is tangerine so is mine <laughs> <laughs> i had a feeling that we had the same one yeah i thought it was I, I think as well. pretty much anyone who is watching the same movie that we are would all agree that kind of tangerine stole the show yeah and it's not that anyone else isn't incredible, even. Because I really love Ladybug, and I really love yeah. Lemon. And even Prince, who is a villainous character in this movie, it, you, I, I still kind of root for her and like her in a way, even though she's such a bad person. Yeah. Um, Which, let's be clear, 
all of them are assassins. Yeah. So, but some of them have better moral compass than <laughs> yes. others. Yes. And and you root for Lemon and Tangerine because even even though they might have In a the terrible moral compass. Perspective of this movie, they are the good guys. Yes, because they're protecting each other. Yes. They have something that they care about. Yeah. Right. The the prince will sacrifice anybody yes. for what she wants, even a child's life that we know she pushed a kid off of a building in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Aaron Taylor Johnson did a great job, and he was my favorite character. He has a great name, by the way. Aaron Taylor Johnson? Yes. Because his name's Aaron. <laughs> I thought you meant because he had a three-word name. It actually took me a second I mean, to figure I have out. three names in my <laughs> name as well. Yeah, but he's got a hyphenated last name, so it's a little different. <laughs> he's got four names. Yeah. So the, the, he, he really pulls it off so effortlessly. And like, there, I've never wanted a mustache. <laughs> but <laughs> he made it look really he, good, didn't he? He made it look so cool. You know who else makes the mustache look really good? Henry Cavill. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess it. Like, <laughs> when I was watching that Mission Impossible movie, I was like, "Man, I'm gonna grow a mustache." Yeah, he, <laughs> he he does. He's he's right up there with him. Aaron Taylor Johnson's character of Tangerine in this movie is just so cool. He's you know uh, he's he's got like a mouth like a sailor. He's got that awesome British accent um, that's like the rugged British accent and his, his style, like his outfit, the suit that he wears, like, and, and when he like, it, it looks good in every form it's in. Like it goes through the ringer in the movie, gets covered in blood. It, it's originally the three piece suit with the vest and then he takes the suit jacket off and then he's popped the tie and now he's got no tie. Like it looks good in anyone. And like, he's clean cut in the beginning to like disheveled with messy hair and blood yeah. and, and he's got the ring and like he it, in every form and facet he pulls it off it looks so good yeah the outfits and the set design in this movie are incredible the colors are vivid uh there's always something going on in the screen but it's not chaotic you know it all directs your attention right to what you're supposed to be looking at um the appearance of the characters the journey they've been through shows on every one of them yes the hair is the hair is a little more disheveled a little more sweat a little more blood yeah Ladybug pulls his hair back towards the end, you know, going into the big, the big CGI fight. You, you can know? see the mark when he. When you, he I, I just came up with this. Maybe he pulled his hair back because CGI hair is really hard to do. Mm, interesting. That's, that that could be part of why so they did that. So he's foreshadowing that CGI. <laughs> <laughs> he he actually has a spot of blood on his chest when he takes off his other layers. You can see it at the end of the movie. He takes his jacket off when he gets bit by the snake and he shoves it into the toilet. Mm -hmm. He has the mark on his chest from when he was stabbed earlier in the movie and the blood yeah. is dried around there like yeah. a darker color from being... Very good attention to detail. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's incredible throughout. And like I said, there's a bunch of great characters, but Tangerine just... And his death hit me so hard. Yeah. I was furious. I, I would have rather if Ladybug died. I was upset that... He died as well, but I think it makes it a, an impactful movie. You know? I wanted like, to. I, I wanted so badly. It gives the plot meaning I, when, I, in real stakes when someone that you really love in the movie dies. That's true, and you I'm know? I'm all here for a character death. But do you want to go into our backseat directing? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. So this is a segment where we put ourselves in the director's seat and we talk about what we would do differently and what we would do the same. So Andrew. Your backseat directing take on Bullet Train. I want to talk about what I would change because it ties into what we were just discussing, which right. is the death of Tangerine. I, and I'm not just saying this because I love Tangerine, I would not have killed Tangerine. Or I would have absolutely changed the way that they went about it. So I think that 
a bunch of things don't make sense after Tangerine dies. So for one, I was I, I said to myself, why on earth would he have sat next to his brother and not checked his pulse or made sure he was dead or checked him for the vest? He doesn't care about his brother to even make sure he's dead. It just makes Tangerine look stupid in my eyes, especially earlier in the movie, Brad Pitt knock or Ladybug knocks uh, Lemon unconscious in this quiet car and Tangerine literally picks his head up and checks that he's breathing and drops his head back down. So he's, we've already established that he, he's earlier in the movie checking to make sure that he's still breathing. And then later in the movie, just assumes he's dead when he's not. Like, and that affects the rest of the movie. Like, I, I wish that there had been some other way. Like, maybe he checked for a pulse and because of the... They explained that because of the powder, like, his heart rate was slowed so much that he couldn't detect the pulse. And that's why he assumed he was dead. But there's... To me, there's no sign of him checking to make sure his brother's dead. And that's like the most important person to him in the world. And then to me, I would think Lemon would never forgive Ladybug for shooting his brother in the neck. No matter how much logical sense it made that somebody else was tricking them, that's the person that killed his brother. That's the only person he cares about on that train. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I didn't remember that he didn't check his brother's pulse though he just looks at him and he just puts the necklace over his neck hmm interesting i'm skimming through the movie right yeah. now i want to see for sure I th- um what else you got what else is uh you're in your backseat directing segment i also would have liked to see i would have liked to see tangerine kill the prince because hmm. i wanted him to get vengeance Kinda for get, yeah yeah, I, I, that to me was the most exciting point in the movie when, because they're ramping up to it, right? They're like, you're, they're like, you're, you're the diesel. And he's like, he's like, <laughs> yeah. that, he's like, that means that you're like a no good little, and like, he has okay. her at gunpoint. I'm at the scene now, so you keep talking. Okay. He has, a, know if he, he, he has the prince in his clutches, which is like, to me, to this whole point of the movie, the villain, because you haven't seen the white death really touch the screen no face so the prince is my villain to the movie and she just killed a character that i love lemon and it would have been such a payoff to me as an audience member to see tangerine shoot her in the head and i was like get her and i was behind it i was excited well, tangerine and then, tried to shoot her in the head yeah i wanted him too the, oh, the writers didn't let him and the music is swelling to that moment I, I wish that if they had gone the route they were going that he had just shot her because i would have cheered as an audience member for after she killed lemon for tangerine to get her her brother for his but brother to get her back then what would you have had been the tension for the rest of the because uh lemon dies uh halfway th- or yeah just over halfway through the movie so uh there's still 50 minutes left at the point of his death then so what what tension would you have kind of for the rest yes we still have the white death would you introduce him a little sooner or how would you carry the rest of the movie so either they could move up the white death could because of his lack of trust and faith in lemon and tangerine he could come to an earlier stop to meet them their next stop or you could even have lemon wake back up and have lemon and tangerine then force ladybug to stay on the train because they say the sun is still dead and we need somebody to pin this on so you're either going to be the person we pin it on and we're going to kill you or you're going to stay with us and help us fight the white death and I, I could move the story forward from there. You could find a way. I think that makes more sense than the way they ultimately ended up going, which is Lemon forgiving his brother's murderer, basically, at least even temporarily. I don't see that as believable with the characters we've built so far. 
Um, so I just kind of watched the scene where he discovered his brother um, dead in the closet, which we now know that he's not dead, and he didn't check his pulse or anything. I don't miss. Um, I'm not. I'm never wrong. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, Put on a t-shirt. Andrew's always right. Oh my gosh. This guy. <laughs> but when I was just re-watching that scene just now, you see how disheveled uh, Tangerine is. Because he just got back onto the train um, by punching through the window, finishing the window with a massive headbutt. So... so I, you I, could argue that I, at that point, he's not in the clearest mind. I invite you and the audience at home to think about the person you love most in the world. So think about Brooke. Would you, at any cost, would you try CPR? Would you make sure she's not breathing? Or would you just sit next to her and go, she looks pretty dead? <laughs> I definitely see where you're going. And I think an easy fix to that, rather than undoing the death, is just to have him check the pulse and there be no pulse because he took the sleeping pattern maybe is something that slows his heart rate down yeah. so much you can't. So it. I would argue that we could have done that instead because, like I said, I think his death to one of your favorite characters, since it's only one movie, you know, like his death adds actual stakes to the plot. I still have a problem that it feels like sweeping the pulling the rug out from under me to have him so close to killing the prince. And then to ultimately just by random chance have him die, which I get is the theme I, of the movie. I like it because it fits in the theme, like you said. And then also it like flips the script of expectation too. Because in that moment you fully think like, oh, he's going to shoot her. You know, like that's the obvious thing to happen. And then it's Ladybug coming in and then the unluckiness of Ladybug or you could say luckiness of him ends up killing uh, Tangerine. I think it fits the story really well. I do understand your point though, where Lemon isn't like maliciously going after yeah. um, either Ladybug or uh, the Prince because now his brother's dead. Tangerine never would have turned around and worked with the Prince. Yeah. Knowing she was a diesel, knowing that she killed his brother. Right. So I, I don't think that different rules should apply to the main character to get special treatment just to make the plot smoother. Well, he doesn't have that connection of like what the diesel is. He didn't know what the diesel was. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I, I, I'm, you said the main character. That's Ladybug, he, right? Yeah. Ladybug's, I'm saying, is getting special treatment by the writers in terms of getting forgiveness that I'm saying that the prince never would have gotten. Right. But he didn't have. It's, he it's, hasn't it's, been battling the prince this it, whole time, like they were. But I'm so I'm not like drawing like a literal comparison. It's like a figurative. Like I'm saying, yeah. if this were to happen, then so the rule, right. same rule should apply to everybody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I just don't see we're, exactly we're, where we're, you're going. We're talking about two different things. Yeah. But anyway, the the main point of backseat directing is also to say something good about the movie so i will i touch on a lot of things that i really like about it but i'll say that things i would keep i wrote a long list um i would keep the unique story elements the unique blend of action and comedy i laughed during the middle of the fights multiple times like the whole time when he's fighting the wolf and he's like dude can't we talk this out like 
<laughs> he's like, I don't even know you. Like, yeah. I, I was I laughing. I'm a good so, therapist. Yeah. <laughs> um, that part. And then when he's cracking jokes at the Hornet as she's dying. Also, like, just the fast pace of the whole movie. The fast pace of the jokes and the action. Like, the way Ladybug thinks so quickly when the Hornet injects him to inject her back. And then to just wait. Because he knows she's got to have an antidote for herself. And he snatches that so quick. And then, like, the quick witty jokes of... Oh no, I'm mansplaining, I'm mansplaining. Do you need a water? Can I get you a blanket? Like you, you laugh so much, like you 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 laugh so quickly that you can't even like notice the you don't have time to think about the jokes, you're just caught up in them. And then uh the following the water bottle shot that we already talked about, the the amazing huge cast, um, and then the the theme of luck and fate, I would definitely keep that as well because it plays so well. What what do you have, if anything, different from me for backseat directing that we haven't touched on? On all of those points that you just said that you would keep, I would second that. Um, I really enjoy the the luck and fate and choice and all that stuff um, playing a big theme throughout the whole movie. Um, in terms of things that I would change, which I guess this is just like a small change, is kind of determining what your realism is. Um, I tend to kind of be more on the side of being more realistic, which this movie is definitely on the side of not realism, right? Um, but the part that kind of took me out of it just a little bit was when Tangerine was punching through the window, um, going, what, 200 miles an hour? <laughs> like, I would have preferred if he was just on the train, holding on, which is already an incredible feat, waiting to the next stop, and then he gets off kind of all disoriented and gets back onto the train. But um, you have to admit, it looked super cool. It did look super cool. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like it's I'm okay that it's in there. You know, yeah. it's kind of more of like a, a nitpick for me. It definitely matches the rest of the movie, you know. Especially yeah. getting into the third act. Um I think that if anything, like the huge train crash where so many people come out unscathed and Brad Pitt literally flies through the air like in a CGI mess and lands into like this puffy pillow like that's more unbelievable to me even than the scene you just described. Yeah, that's I know that's I know it's luck, and I know luck is the theme, but like, it just is is weird to watch when it's something like in it's something. It's because the rest of the the first two acts were all like relatively grounded. There was a lot of luck elements in there, you know, like you mentioned the knife getting hit against the briefcase and then stabbing the wolf. Um, also, the luck that he was able to break that window and out not die. <laughs> Um, like you said, there's a lot of luck involved in things that are unrealistic, but it was relatively grounded throughout the rest of the movie. And then you have this big, huge crash where everything's flying around and everyone's like still on their feet, you know, and not being sucked out of the window or the big gaping hole that's in the side of the, the train. Because yeah, um, the, the Elder, Kimura, Prince, Ladybug, and the White Death all survived that. Right. And Lemon's already jumped out of the train, so he survived too. Yeah. So I think at the end, rather than having it be the big train crash as it was, I would maybe dive more into the samurai aspect of it and have a fight out with swords and stuff. Um, I'm sure they could have come up with a way that was still involving luck, that was still funny while in the midst of the action. Um, but then maybe not taking the audience out so much with uh, the CGI scenes. With that said, 
I didn't mind the CGI scenes that much because of the tone of the movie. You know, like I get that it's a action comedy and probably 10, 20 years ago, it would have been mind blowing. You know, like <laughs> I think that's something that us as the audience and stuff has to keep in mind is like the ultimate point is to tell a story, mm -hmm. you know, and their story they wanted to tell was about the luck and um, kind of having this unrealistic uh, approach to the end of the movie, which is still enjoyable, you know, like I think we're kind of spoiled when we see like Infinity War, Endgame, and then of course Avatar, Our Way of the Water. Water. Oh my like, gosh. It basically gives other movies like they don't stand a chance anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily fair, I think, to the, the story, you know? So uh, even though I might have, might have preferred it to be a little different, I still enjoyed it 100% the way it was, you know? Yeah, I think the CGI is probably a nitpick. I mean, if the CGI was terrible in a movie like Avatar, Way of the Water, then it wouldn't be a nitpick because it's the whole movie. Right. But it's a nitpick in this kind of movie. Yeah. It, it just stands out a lot, you know? And, like, I think we as an audience can tell when the CGI isn't as good anymore. You know, like, back in the 90s, all CGI looked bad, which means it all looked good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Even in the... It's crazy what was acceptable because even just going back a decade and watching the first avatar you'll notice that things were it's not as good right um which is a really really well-made film in terms of special effects yeah so like when you watch a movie from the 90s it's it can be kind of rough sometimes which i just did this week i watched the matrix and yeah. i think is that 2000 the matrix i think is like 99 uh, it's one or the other. I'll pull it up, but I don't think it's before. But that movie mostly looks fantastic, but I can think of a few key moments. It's 99. Like, like when he's getting covered in the the metal. A like, lot of the CGI looked like the typical 90s CGI. Because it was my first time watching the movie. So watching it, what, 23 years later from it coming out, the CGI to me wasn't anything like crazy. You know, like... The camera work was pretty cool. Where like bullet time, so yeah, cool. where they had the a bunch of cameras lined up in a semicircle and floating around in the air. That was really cool, um, but the CGI itself, I don't think looked good, you know. Um, but that doesn't that didn't take away from the story necessarily. Like I still understood what was going on. It got its point across. Back when it came out, it was groundbreaking. You know, so I think we're just kind of spoiled with the whole CGI stuff nowadays um, because it definitely in Bullet Train looked a thousand times better than anything we could put together, you know? Because when I watch Multiverse of Madness, I'm like about to throw up. Uh, so, yeah, I am, I am pretty spoiled because I was like, this looks like, this looks like garbage. Yeah. And it's really not garbage. It's just overworked animators not having time to make it look as good as the previous projects. Right. But we just get, I think we also get wrapped up in the culture of like, this is the next big thing. Like the next thing has to be better. Right. So when the expectation is that high, it makes it look worse. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like I had no expectation that the bullet train needed to look better than the Avengers, you know, but you notice when it doesn't, Yeah. you know, and it, it's relatively clear when it doesn't, you know, which is kind of unfortunate, you know, because I want to be able to watch a movie and not be like, 
noticing things that aren't on the same level as other things due to basically money and budget and timing. The nature of the human brain is impossible to avoid. Especially that we have this podcast where we're breaking down all these movies, you know, like we're, we're definitely nitpicking, uh, and kind of, or at least I'm analyzing movies in the light that maybe I wouldn't have before. And then you like look at behind the scenes stuff like we do now and you learn like what cameras they're shooting with. Are they shooting in 3d? Are they shooting in anamorphic? Are they shooting on film or digital? And Mm -hmm. how does light play? How do they design the light to play off the CGI? And what did they use to, avoid too much light reflecting back into the lens like it's then you're looking at it so much mad respect (laughs) it takes so much to make a movie you know like it's insane the amount Uh, of work and effort and planning of timing that goes into this and and so they're all on timelines too like they they have to get things done at certain times and that's a lot of pressure you know we've made a lot of little video things and stuff we did a little video series and like there's a lot of pressure on that stuff, you know, and like, uh, they're feeling that too, just on times 10, you know? Yeah. With a hundred million dollars on the line. Right. For sure. <laughs> Got to recoup. Yeah, definitely. Um, any other, uh, backseat directing or anything? I believe this movie is based on a book. Uh, so we could have a source code segment, but I don't read books, so I couldn't tell you about the original piece of material. Yeah, comment and tell case. us about the book if yeah. you've read Bullet Trade. I only it's... read words when they're accompanied by pictures uh, in a comic book. That's why we read so. comic books. Yes, exactly. I only read subtitles. <laughs> no, I read comic books. Um, no, I, w- I would ask you, uh, what is your favorite fight scene in the movie? Oh. I would say either the quiet fight scene where they're on the quiet train. And I know you like that one a lot, so I want to pick a different one. (laughs) And I think the next best one or the one that's on the same level is when Tangerine and Ladybug are fighting. Yeah, I love the way that they stop in the middle of the fight scenes to make you laugh. Like, yes. like I said, I laugh so much in the wolf fight. That fight too, they, the, the lady comes through with the concession, the female from the boys, Karen. <laughs> yeah. and, and she's like, does anybody want anything? And uh, later, I'll, take a, I'll take a sparkling, sparkling water. water yeah. And then he looks at Tangerine. He's like, oh man, I forgot my wallet. Can you cover I, me? Yeah, I spent all my money <laughs> already. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh so my funny. gosh it's so funny that just it's like take, a ten dollar bottle of water too yeah. or something take, taking a stop like in the middle of the fight to like make the audience laugh. and then they get right back to the fight yeah it, it gives the audience a time to like breathe and process you know and evaluate who's who and like what the stakes of the fight are honestly so brilliant overall a brilliant story element and something else i would keep is having the the irony and the jokes that come from this, having the main character be a hitman who is going through therapy <laughs> and who is trying to like avoid conflict and keep conflict out of his life, but conflict always finds him. Like it's ironic, it's hilarious, and it's it's in the whole story. You know, it's it's something that's prevalent throughout. And I, I just love all the like the quick punches. Like you talk about um, it being like Tarantino-esque in terms of like Pulp Fiction um, with the multiple plot lines. It also has like that punchy dialogue where if you aren't paying attention for a second, you'll miss a joke coming off from uh, from Ladybug where he's like, can we talk about this? Or uh, my therapist would say like that uh, aggression like breeds aggression or that it's all about mindset. Like it's all these small things that make Do it work. Do you recognize me? 
No, you look like every white homeless man I've seen. <laughs> you shot me. Yeah, I shoot a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good one-liners in there. That That's such sure. a good exchange. He says, I, you look like every homeless white man I've seen. You shot me. I shoot a lot of people. Shot me. You shot me twice. Should have shot you three times. <laughs> like, that exchange is so good. Yeah. Also, Brad Pitt's character in this movie, which I thought was interesting, two little tidbits of trivia before we go. One is that Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt in real life has a condition where um, it makes it more difficult for him to recognize faces. And his character has a line in the movie that, where he says, I'm great with faces. But then he <laughs> later on struggles to recognize the wolf who he's seen before and he mm-hmm. saw him on a job. So like that irony combined with the fact that Brad Pitt in real life has this condition where it, that condition makes it even difficult for you to recognize your own face in the mirror sometimes. So him, like his character, he has to re- remember like a sequence of events that he ties to a person to recognize and remember their face. So that's yeah. interesting. But also the aspect like we were talking about off the air, this awesome set that they built on the scene of bullet train they built real train cars on a soundstage where they're filming but the trains aren't moving so in order to create the effect of movement they have these led screens on the other side of the train windows that are playing moving images of a landscape of a city of japan and these created such a realistic effect that they actually said that some of the crew on set was getting motion sickness on a train car that was not even moving (laughs) so this yeah. speaks to what our technology can do nowadays is trick our brain into thinking that we're moving so much so that you actually feel ill. Yeah, that's how powerful light is when you're filming a scene. You know, like you can do a lot of things now with light that uh, maybe you couldn't have done in the past. You know, and like what makes a good shot from a bad shot? Most of the time, it's the lighting. Yeah, absolutely. The, the absence... Uh, or presence of light has such a huge effect on a film. I think two of the most, or three I'd say, of the most unnoticed things by casual viewers, myself included, uh, would be the lighting of a scene, sound, Foley effects or music, and editing. Like the actual way the scene is cut together. And those are three things that like go into our brain and literally create the actual scene. Like, right. And that is what we're if interpreting without knowing if it. If something feels off, you, you might know that something's off, but you might not be able to pinpoint what it is unless if you're familiar with lighting, sound design. Uh, That's what's off in the bad CGI is usually the lighting, you know? Right. It's usually that. The, the lighting, the timing. Yeah. yeah. It looks on... It, that's like our, our brain... Un- unknowingly to us picks up on hold on like uh, we, it would, that, that wouldn't look yeah. like that from that angle the light right. wouldn't shine off of their skin that way in this setting and it, it's interesting that yeah. technology affords us now to do a lot of stuff like you said that we could never do like this giant CGI train crash but yeah. overall fantastic movie I'm really highly glad that you watched it me I would too. also highly recommend me too it was a good way to kind of wrap up the year you know, watching it, it came out on Netflix. So if guys, if you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it. Good it's a lot job. of fun. Um, again, it's it's rated R, so keep that in mind. Um, which, in my opinion, makes the comedy more funny, makes the action <laughs> a lot cooler. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, Andrew, anything to wrap us up? Thank you guys so much for listening. And like we talked about earlier, please tell your friends and family about us and subscribe if you aren't or... Yeah, let's get to 200 subscribers. 200. End of the year. We're only like 25 away. Uh, So we can definitely get there with your help. So again, thanks for watching and listening to our show. And that's that's a wrap. wrap.